Stand at Ease, episode 16, Saturday, April 9th, 2011. That's when the light bulb came on and said, I need to get to know my community. Wow. So I'm, and I'm and that's, gonna... where, that's where you came up with the phrase of secrets behind closed doors. Um, <laughs> well, you know, the Marines are the men, men's department of the Navy. How do you not get burnt like I'm burnt now? I'd like to welcome everybody back here to a chilly, cool, yet beautiful Northern California morning. And over here to my left, we've got D. Bjorn Christian David in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Welcome back, buddy. Good morning. Now, nice, balmy 43 degrees here, and we've got a flood crest coming in in about two days. Well, you know something? It's, I know that I sit around and I wait for balmy 43 and flood crests, and, you know, I really, <laughs> I, I, I know I miss that. I miss that. And over to my right, James L. Johnson, Jr., just outside of, out of the recovering Detroit, Michigan. Welcome aboard, Jim. <laughs> Thank you very much. And our weather here is very similar. It's uh, in the 40s. However, tomorrow it's Got supposed it. to be up in the 65, 70 degree range. So anyways, well, and we have over to the right a special guest, somebody that we've wanted to have on here for a long period of time, Sida Helms here in California, Southern California. Sida, would you tell us where you're at? Good morning. I am in Laguna Beach, California, looking over the Pelicans cruising over the the whitewater. (laughs) I don't like you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I lived down in California for a number of years, and I lived on the beach. I was at Mission Bay and uh, Pacific Beach, but Laguna Beach was always my favorite. Dave and I were talking earlier. I was 14, 15 years old, my uncle lived in La Habra, and that was my first visit to California. And he took me to Laguna Beach, and I fell in love with that place. So it's uh, I'm, I do envy you in the sense of where you're geographically located, Sita. That's a beautiful area. There's no doubt about it. Well, we are blessed down here, mudslides, fires, and floods, but... <laughs> you see we just got floods. <laughs> Well, you, you know what? Let's talk a little bit uh, about Cedar Helms. For the last 20 years, well, let's say 20 years plus, uh, you've been servicing the community and the world at large with an organization called Helping Hands Worldwide. Can you tell us a little bit about that organization, Cedar? I would love to. We originated back in oh, many, many moons ago. When um, by trade, I'm a real estate appraiser and a realtor. And one of my clients had decided that he wanted to uh, sell his home. And he happened to be a high ranking military gentleman retired. And his family had told me that he didn't need any help because he was the one who always barked orders at everybody. Yeah, though that kind of fits with the military. Well, it ended up he was, um, you know, we go through stages of life and um, his life was changing and he realized it was time for him to move on, to live, to move out of his ranch. And I kept on calling his family, asking him, asking them, you know, to come over and visit and he needs help. Well, it ended up that um, he had had a stroke right after I had left him one day and I stopped back by and he had been in the same chair that I'd left two days before, dehydrated and, and uh, incoherent. 
When I saw him, he looked at me. He said, sweetheart, where have you been? As if I've been gone years. And that's kind of what threw me in this realm where I am now. One man, one military man, and today we help 30,000 people. Wow. So I'm, and I'm and that's, little... where, that's where you came up with the phrase of secrets behind closed doors, correct? That's right. Secrets behind closed doors because you never know what's going behind, on behind that door next to yours. Yeah, on the surface, everything looked normal, but yet here's a guy who was just totally by himself, had no one to depend on. Correct, <laughs> and, and lived on a ranch. I lived six ranches down, and I didn't know anybody lived there. That's when the light bulb came on and said, I need to get to know my community. Wow. Well, you know what? That's a move that some people might dream about, but you made it a reality. So it takes a special kind of person to actually create action. And this is how this program started, correct? Helping Hands Worldwide? That's right. That was the day. That's the day that I jumped into action and went from Meals on Wheels to Board of Directors, advocating for seniors, children, and the military. Yeah, I I see that you're uh, a director on the board for Meals on Wheels, your moms for Safe Parks, and you're uh, a board member of the Parks and Recreation Committee for uh, the City of Laguna. What is Moms for Safe Parks about? Moms for Safe Parks is uh, an organization I started when my children were very young, when I started going to the local parks and realized... What is Moms on uh, Safe Parks about? Moms for Safe Parks started when I, right after I had my children and started taking them to the local parks and realized our parks were in disrepair and actually hazardous to the children. So when we, we started the collaboration with the other moms, we started hounding City Hall, and the guys were hiding from us. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't doubt that. That sounds like our current politicians, too. So, I mean. Six months later, I finally found a gentleman walking down the stairs in City Hall and said, are you this man that I need to speak to? Why, why haven't you to return my phone calls? He said, because we don't have the money. <laughs> so all you have to do is tell me. I'll get the money someplace else. So that kind of pushed the city after um, many meetings and no maintenance plan on their parks to establish the maintenance plan. And now we've redone almost every park in Laguna Beach. Wow. So I just, because this is one of the things I talk about in my classes about um, some of the things that are done on parks to make them safe. What types of maintenance issues were there? Many years ago, when they first started making parks, they weren't looking into the type of materials and the chemicals put in those materials. As we okay. know, many children, um, anything they touch, they always put their hands in their mouth. Exactly. So you have um, chemically treated wood, for example, um, telephone poles are used a lot in parks. Mm-hmm. And mm. they arsenic they're arsenic treated or pressure treated wood so if you have telephone poles railroad ties and this is some of um the equipment or uh, woods that were used to retain walls falling apart um holes in the middle where the children they were used as steps so there would be a three inch hole inside of the um the pole where the kids would step and they get their foot stuck and then they would fall. Mm. So we were just trying to do some preventive maintenance 
that, so the, that, that's incredible. You know, how many times have you seen that? I know I have. And you actually took action and corrected all this. So all the parks, for the most part, in your area there, they've all been revamped. Is that what you're saying? We've had them all redone now. And tell me, how did you find that you said, um, don't worry about it, I'll get the money from somewhere else? How was your initial thought pattern as you got started in this? How did you go about getting that money? Well, well, what we did is we went to the city council. After I found out, we had to have a certain amount of money allotted in the budget, which comes around once a year. So when I went to the city council, they told me, well, go look at our other parks and we'll make your park any, any way you want. That's when I went back to them and said, look, guys, you have a maintenance problem. And new regulations came out that 2010, they had to have all the parts up to date, all the arsenic and treated woods out of the parks and safe for the children. So we had the city council dedicate a certain amount of money to each park throughout those 10 years. It's a slow process, but one step at a time, the turtle in the hair story comes in. <laughs> Actually, what it is, it's dedication and truly believing in what it is that you're doing. That's what comes into play there. You know, a lot of times we, we wait for the other guy to do something. You are that other guy. You're the one who makes a difference. People like you can change things. So many people in this country don't believe that what they say and what they do makes a difference. You're a prime example of someone where what you say and what you do makes a tremendous difference. You also provide toys and clothes for orphanages in Tijuana and Rosarita, Guatemala, and you provide aid to Colombia and Iraq. And we talk about that for a while. Oh, sure. We do advocate for children, uh, as many children as we possibly can. Um, unfortunately, in Mexico, we don't go down to Mexico much anymore because of the drug wars. Right. Um, we used to help on orphanages down in Mexico, any extra clothes or cribs, anything that was up here that wasn't being distributed, we would take down. As far as um, we have an organization in Belize, it's called Equity House Belize that we help. One of the, one of the nurses out of Saddleback ended up selling her home in um, Rancho Santa Margarita. That's why it's called Equity House Belize. Mm. Built a, built a two-story. Top ha- part is a clinic. and bottom, The top house is where she lives, and then the bottom story is the clinic. There's no hospital for three hours around. So we actually have the nurses in that are in training at Saddleback College go and they get hands-on at the clinic so we will help them fundraise and that's a birthing clinic right uh it's it's does everything gotcha okay we have a lady there who is a um they call her the comadrina which um she is the midwife and she births over 30 children a month wow and and now she has gloves and just the essentials and blankets before she would wrap the children in newspaper all newspapers so this woman this woman on her own brings in over 400 people to this world every year yes and she she does it without drugs 
we call her our natural herb herbologist because when you're out with her, she will stop you in the street and say, okay, the jacaranda tree, those purple flowers, that's perfect Tums. You'll never have to buy Tums again. <laughs> <laughs> Things that you and I would never dream of. Right, right. That's what she uses on a daily basis. Wow. And then as far as Iraq, we, we ship about two tons every quarter of snacks, goods, and hygiene items to our military. And in that, sometimes would be baby clothes so that they can pass out baby clothes, toys, books, pencils, writing materials for the kids. And then we also will send candy. So our soldiers will be able to pass out something to the children when they're at war. And this, many times it's been a life-saving technique because this is a way for our military to make friends when they're out at war and, and for people to set some type of bridge between... How, how did you come up with that idea? Because that ties right in with General Petraeus and various other leaders there who want to win the hearts and minds of the people. There is no, you're right, there is no better way to do that than through the children, because the parents see you and they perceive you as being friendly, and the kids, of course, they all love you. But how, how did you come up with that idea? Well, I think it comes back to being a mom and seeing if somebody's going to treat my children right, then most likely they're going to treat me right. That's correct. And yeah. it's, it's the whole evolution of humanity and how we treat each other. If we if they see that in action, they can see somebody be treating good instead of somebody taking the machine gun out and, and shooting their families. It, there's, a, there's a huge difference there. When you build those bridges of friendship and, and caring, the people are more apt to come out and support you or let you know where the insurgents are. When there is, if they know they can trust you, when there is danger. Right, right. Now, General Nicholson, uh, 2nd Marine Division Expeditionary uh, Brigade, sent you a personal letter back in April of 2010, thanking you for the support for the troops in Afghanistan. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that goes hand in hand with, um, with the snacks and the other items that we send we try to make sure that our troops know that we're here and we're, we support them. And in doing that, we try to get the community involved. For example, we have a last chance high school that we now call their cooking class, the Culinary Institute. So we will get all these kids to make cookies, homemade cookies, and we'll, we'll ship them over. And the guys in Afghanistan will airdrop these things to the most remote locations. So it can be Christmas for our soldiers in July. Hmm. Well, I got I to gotta tell you, those uh, packages from home means a lot to a guy who's in a foreign country, particularly in a war situation. Absolutely. And, I, I'm just I'm just so proud of the things that you do. I mean, it's uh, it amazes me because this is all strictly voluntary with you. I mean, you're not paid for any of this. You do this out of your out of your heart. Right. We 
we are not paid. Our, our whole board is not paid. We do, um, we do have a few drivers that are paid now because we're getting so big that we're almost forced to start getting paid staff to help man, man the battleships here. <laughs> yeah, one of the things Gar, Gar and I and Jim have talked about a number of times is what does it mean to support our troops? And, you know, you're an exemplar of that, just the way that you're doing this. And, uh, you know, I have the world of respect for you and your organization. This is, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words again. Well, it's not, it's just not my organization. We collaborate with other groups to make this happen. So we'll work with Support Your Marines at Dana Point, or we'll work with uh, one of my girlfriends does uh, a pet food bank. And when she gets extra snacks, the snacks will be sent our way so we can ship them out to Afghanistan. And then we'll work with one of the, um, one of the groups on um, the military base that have transport. So everything will go through them. And they'll get the peanut butter crackers or the beef jerky or the, the razors or the hygiene napkins for the women. You name it, we get it. And it'll all go down there and it'll be shipped out. Either it'll be posted or it'll be sent out on military transport. Now, they do a, a, this Dana Point organization. They take care of Marines, right? I mean, Absolutely. Uh, you know, how does that work? They do, what, car washes and all the proceeds go to the military families? Yes, um, Support Your Marines will have a, a car wash. Also, our local veterans of foreign wars, we all collaborate together. And we will help um, supply the goods for the car washes, and one of our local churches will let us use their parking lots. We can make up to $10,000 even on a rainy day. Wow. Wow. Yes, the, um, we joke with the guys that the cars leave wetter than when they came in. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a clean wet. It's a clean wet. <laughs> how, how is this money dispersed? How, how do they disperse this money? Well, a lot of times what we use the phones for will be for the Marines' birthday ball. As mm -hmm. you know, um, all the Marines that come, they have to stay on site. Right. You know, being a Marine yourself, you guys, you know how to party. Oh, yeah. no. You know, we, we know how to fight wars, but we want to make sure when um, when they're out there having a good time that they don't get behind the wheel. And a lot of these kids, they don't have the $100 it costs to stay at the hotel overnight for the birthday ball. Mm -hmm. And And for those who don't know what the birthday ball is, this is a celebration for all the birthdays when all these guys are going to be deployed. So this is the big bang bash for them. To have their heyday that night. Oh, so you're not talking like the Marine Corps, Marine Corps ball, but a birthday party for the Marines going overseas. Yes, yes. Oh wow. Yes, so they they get one night out on the town, and if they want to get drunk, that's okay. If they don't want to, but they can't get behind a wheel, and they have to stay on site, and they get to bring their beloved other. So they get to have a nice meal, and they get to stay in the restaurant. They're all, they're all in uniform, and it's really a, it's a fun event for them. That's incredible. That is totally incredible. And then, and then with uh, it just depends on support your Marines when 
you know, when we first went into Afghanistan and it started getting really hot, a lot of our guys would get um, a heat stroke being out in the sun. Because when you're out in the desert in the sun and you have one of those helmets on, there's not much between you and the metal. It's mm-hmm. like basically your 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 brain is like an egg yeah. on the sand frying. Yeah, so, in a crock pot. Yeah. So what what it'll what these guys were doing is they would purchase with some of the funds that we would raise, they would purchase a little um, kind of like a, a little sandbag that would go inside the helmet where they could pour water on it and it would keep them cool. So like a little cooling system inside the helmet. Fairly easy, fairly simple, and uh, keep the guys safe. Because you have I always hear that you you say a Marine never sleeps. They sleep with one eye open. Mm-hmm. And when these guys are completely exhausted and have heat exhaustion, how can they even think? They may be Marines, but they're not. They still have a bodily issue. Functions, That's man. Right. The, yeah. Your will can only manage it if the electrolytes are flowing. <laughs> so these are just some of the little things that, that we try to help with. And I you think- know what? These aren't little things. These are huge things. You realize how many lives you've touched in, in the last 20 years? You're really a remarkable individual. Well, well, thank you. And like I said, it's just not me. We, we have crews of people that we work with. So many let's, volunteers who are dedicated on a daily basis. Let, let's talk about a normal day. I mean, where do you get all these items where do you get the food how does this all get picked up and let's just talk about a normal day whenever you're out gathering everything that you're ready to disperse a normal day starts with um the receivers at all the stores we service 28 retailers we pick up food and items seven days a week so um gentlemen my cell phone is on all the time i know you turned yours off Sorry, couldn't do that. <laughs> because if I get a call from a store and one of their freezers go down, we'll be in and we'll pick up that 300 pounds of meat within 30 minutes. Wow. So we, we have the turnaround. We pick up, we'll go in, the driver will start at, um, we start servicing the stores around 7.30, 8 o'clock every morning. And they'll pick up at each route. We have three refrigerated trucks that were um, given to us by Albertsons. Mm-hmm. And, Albertsons uh, gave you the trucks? For a very, very reasonable rate. One of them was donated. Two of them were sold to us. And they were worth about $45,000 a piece. Wow. So that has, in, in one month, we were able to increase our pickups by 120 stops in one month. So that was how many, our, how, how many tons of food do you calculate that you pick up and disperse on an annual basis? Um, annual? I, let's talk daily. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a little early for my brain to wrap around that question. Um, daily, it can be 10 tons per truck. Daily. Three daily. trucks. Three trucks. So 30, 30 tons a day. Seven days, seven days a week. Seven days a week. Now we don't always pick up ten t- tons per truck. 
but and some days we have to go back for several trips. It just depends on time of year, if it's a holiday, around a holiday, if it's the beginning of the month, middle of the month, when the pay periods are. Grocery stores go along with our economy of how they order and how, how the food's dispersed. So, for nice. example, after um, St. Patty's Day, not everybody bought their corned beef this year. It's kind of expensive. Two days after St. Patty's Day, they cleared it out. Just one store gave us 25 cases. Now, what you pick up in that day, is that dispersed by the end of that day? The majority of the time. So we're talking roughly picking up and dispersing 10 tons of food a day. Yes. We, we will have um, anywhere from one to six food banks a day. Now, this goes to senior citizens. This goes to uh, different uh, community things and the military, right? Yes. We, have, um, we advocate for children. We will do after-school after programs. We do in-school programs. We have a gentleman, um, Master Earl. He's our Taekwondo master. He does a, a Taekwondo program, retired Marine. And he teaches military Taekwondo to kids that are um, latchkey kids in San Clemente. One of the churches donates its, its space. And we have, I believe, 175 children now, three times a week, that come through that program. And our group will provide the snacks for Master Earl. And uh, right, right across the street from the church where he ha holds his Taekwondo program is where the gangbangers used to hang out. Gangbangers no longer get these children. Master Earl does. Really? Yeah, so it's, it's pretty phenomenal just what one person can do. And then, you know, we all pull together and help him out. We do um, low-income HUD housing. For seniors, we have um, seven different locations that we have mobile food banks that we bring food in for wow. the seniors. Now, how, how did you work your way on to Camp Pendleton? Because you deliver food and things to Camp Pendleton, correct? Yes. Yes. We're on the military base every Tuesday. And then again... Um, if we have special events, Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving, we'll um, be on a, an extra day during the holidays. But with uh, Camp Pendleton, we've been reaching out because we were hearing about families down there where the mom would have a jar of mayonnaise left for the rest of the pay period, which would be a week and a half. And how could she feed two children? You know, we've talked about this on the program before. And... This is something that America as a whole is unaware of. Sure. They don't realize that, you know, your PFCs, your Lance Corporals, your Corporals, and even into the Sergeant rank and up, they have families and, they're, and they only have so much money. And you know how difficult it is to raise a family to begin with. And then all of a sudden you're on limited incomes because what you get, you get, and that's it. Right. And it's not, and it's not that much. So, I mean, I have seen guys in units would not eat their sea rats, but yet take those home because that would be the meal for their kids. 
on any given night. You know, and then let's keep in mind, too, that you, it's not as though that these people are stationed in northern Wisconsin or Minnesota or the Midwest somewhere. If you're sitting in California, you're paying California gas prices. You know, even though you've got the base exchange and they'll try to get the money, anytime that you're anywhere, you're off of that gated community of the of the post, you're paying California prices. Well, even on base, uh, the gas prices are very, very high. I would like to decide, could I, could I hyperlink back to the first part of the show and ask you about that Marine that started it all for you? Uh, there's a, you know, for the people that are listening, you know, we're hearing about somebody like you and, and I, I know for a fact, I think about our efforts here on the radio show pale in comparison to the work that you and others like you have done. But I'm curious if you'd be willing to share with us when what does it feel like or what is that moment like after you found that man sitting in the chair and and all of a sudden you were given or imparted or something said to you whether it's a higher being or whatever that this is a life-changing event did it not let you sleep at night was it something that always drove you was it a longer process because somewhere i have a sneaking suspicion that all of us at some time in our life will be faced with or given an opportunity like you've had. But what does that look like? And what does it feel like to be struck with that to a point where it would 20-some years later we're having this radio show with you? What's that moment like? I think the moment is when you have somebody who was a high-ranking military official look at you in the eyes and be completely dependent on you, that sparks something in me. Because that man was never dependent on anybody. Yeah. And when it took me 16 phone calls as a saint, I thought I was saying then, um, 16 phone calls to get to an agency that could actually help him. Wow. That, 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 that was hard to take. And there's a lot of people who fall through the cracks. Military, seniors, children... You don't get the proper nutrition on a daily basis. They can't afford to buy something with protein. So, so they will be eating out of a trash can or they will be eating dog food. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing when, when people just, you know, that eye opening in psychology, we call it the aha moment and you start making those connections and the 16 calls to be able to help someone just, just to find the right agency. That's, this says a lot for some of our bureaucracy. And, you know, I wasn't married. I didn't have children. I, I wasn't involved with a lot of seniors. I had my grandmother, but she rode a tractor. She didn't need much help. And, <laughs> and, and you know, Grandma, she could fix anything. So when I was faced with that and I went into Meals on Wheels, they, I asked them if they needed any help. And they said, do you want to help? So I ended up. <laughs> being on their board and that really wasn't enough for me because I wanted to actually see the people. So I started delivering meals myself and then that, that opened 16 doors. And from there I realized that the food that, that the government sends out for meals on wheels has to be the nutritional balanced. Can't have too much salt in it. Honestly, it tastes like cardboard. A lot of these people, they don't want to eat it. Um, so we started supplementing some of the diets 
for example, Pondemont here in um, Newport Beach would donate their extra breads. And then they would call me and say, can you come and pick up? And my husband-to-be came in with me one night. And they gave us three trash bags filled with roast beef croissants. Hmm. And because they didn't sell them during that day. So the next day we went to the senior center and that's what they had for lunch. <laughs> and when I told uh, my husband, come on, he, he, we were dating then. I said, come on, come help me. It's 930 at night. I need to make a quick stop. He said, it's 930 at night. I said, I know, but just, you know, you can drop me off at home. No problem afterwards. And, uh, and he said, they give you this stuff all the time. I used to only do children on holidays, and I had one of the stores come to me and say, can you do this all year long? We would love to give this to you all year long. So they started giving us toys and clothes all the time. We would stop by every day to pick up. So now we have, uh, per day, we do anywhere from 28 to, to 40 pickups, just depending on the day. Yeah. Well. Wow. Now, how has this touched your family? I know you have children. How many children do you have? I have uh, two scrumptious monster munchkins. <laughs> two days they're scrumptious, and some days they're monsters, like we all can. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they're um, 12 and 13. And it, it, it has been hard for them sometimes. And then also it's, it's been a good learning experience because they know families are in need they are my eyes and ears at school they know the families where they have all the kids sleeping on the floor and they don't have enough blankets at night and we're talking about southern california here we're not talking about in another place in in the united states which is not as economically stable supposedly California was very economically stable. We're not talking about Arkansas or Kansas. We're talking about some place where, you know, people people have a vi- very high living standard here. And um, when you have sixteen people on, living in a two bedroom apartment with one bathroom, oh man! And that's you know that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of apartments, time after time after time, and. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize. That's why I say secrets behind closed doors, because if you're not aware of that, people will drive right by. They'll have no idea. Had no idea the little girl in their class never had a dolly. Or the other little girl would come to school and she would get colds because she didn't have a jacket. Or another little girl didn't have the proper shoes and they were two sizes too big, and her feet would flop out of them because those were passed down from somebody else because they didn't have the money for them. So your children, they more or less share the passion that you have, correct? Absolutely. They they were talking one day, and one of them says, I don't think I'm going to be helping him when I grow up. Mommy works too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, might, I might do something with Daddy. And it, it's cute because my husband's a physical therapist and he does aqua therapy. So, you know, summertime, they'll go up to the pool with dad and I'll say, hey, you know, guys, I'm going to be running down to Camp Hilton. You want to go? Oh, mommy, we'll have to work on the truck. Are you taking the truck? 
<laughs> well, well, you know, geez, it might be something that you might you might want to have a a nice ice cream after or something. But the kids, um, the the kids are very excited because we will help at their schools. We help with uh, the Taekwondo program. Both of my girls are black belts. They have been through this Taekwondo program at twelve and thirteen. So when we have tickle contest here at home, you have to be very careful because those kicks do hurt. <laughs> Trust me, I know. <laughs> yeah, so um, the girls, you, you've got to have such a wonderful relationship because you've got to have a husband who has the same compassion and a tremendous amount of love for you to, because you're gone a lot. You're involved in so many things. I'll bet you your phone rings off the hook all the time at home. Mine, mine does, and you know there was a there was about a year ago where it came to me, and we were just going through a huge growth spurt with Helping Hand, and we just received the refrigerated truck. So, did you ever think about getting a real job? And I smiled and I said, <laughs> "What does that mean?" And he said, "Well, you know, you'd have more time, you'd have more money," and uh, and I said, "Well, I could do that." But where can I make enough money where I, at that time where, when we were feeding probably only around 15,000 people a month? Where can I make that kind of money where I can help feed 15,000 people a month? And he looked at me and he goes, and I, and I, and I said, and where, where would those people who touch our lives, who are in construction that we know, we've known their families, where are they going to get their groceries at? And it didn't quite connect until I told him, you know, those people who ride, those other moms who ride on the, on the trucks, or I have stay-at-home moms who actually drive the trucks too. A lot of the economy in California is so bad that we have moms who do have husbands who work, but to make ends meet, they help their community and then they take food off the truck. And the food that we get is very high-quality, wholesome, balanced food. So they're able to provide food for their family. They can come on the truck twice a week. And if you have teenagers, you have a couple of boys or a couple of girls, those kids can eat. They need to eat. Yeah. That's right. And groceries these days are not cheap. So I do believe right now we have eight moms who go on the truck. And help, and they help um, set up the food banks. And we, what we do with our program is we we have um, help your community and help yourself. So they don't feel like they're just taking. They can not only they not only help their community, but they help their family, and they can keep pr- their own pride. Because I that's think that's very important in this economy that people don't feel like they're standing in a food line. We have a lot of them. At one of our food banks in San Juan Capistrano, we're getting 55 to 105 new families every month. Jesus. Wow. And that's just one food bank. We have, um, right now, we distribute at 45 different places. Yeah, we were talking last night, you and I were saying that, and you said that with this, the possible government shutdown that you might not be able to get back onto the bases. And if that was the case, how would you help those military families that have probably come to depend on you a little bit? Right. Um, 
on the military base, when, when we go down, some of the families, it doesn't matter if it's raining or if it's 100 degrees, those women will be down in line waiting for us. And um, I've received several calls in the last few days from our community liaisons down there um, giving us a heads up on the military closures which we closed down all our community centers where we service uh, 21 battalions, 21 units. From the 1st Marine Division all the way to the 11th Marine Division, the Recon, Recon Division, the Combat Engineers, the um, Assault Amphibious Divisions, um, the Expedition force, the aircraft groups, the list goes on and on and on. So if we're not able to access those buildings, we can't bring the food in. So I was thinking about that this morning when I woke up. How many tables do I need? How many pup tents do I need? Because we're not going to stop. We're not going to let our military families go hungry here, here in California. We won't do it. You know, I was sitting here, David and I had an opportunity to talk yesterday, and I was watching what was taking place. And I have to tell you, I was doing a slow burn last night. <laughs> yeah, he was. Watching this thing. I mean, when I was talking about it, I was, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about how you have such mi- macro conversations with such huge micro impacts. And, you know, and I don't know just exactly, I mean, I'm one dude. You're one person, and we can have a big influence. But when we were, when David had mentioned to me that the, that the fact that these these two sides of power could impact your ability to feed children, and I knew we were going to have this conversation today, I, I have to tell you, I was in a slow burn last night, and I was thinking about if we have this conversation today, and she's telling me about how. Like you were saying, I have to get these tents and you have to do all these other things. Um, I, I was going to try to be as professional as I can. I'm still just really ratcheted up hot right now uh, about just how little people think about other people about this stuff. You know, or, you, you know, to them, it's a conversation. I'm not going to give between 33 billion and 41 billion that conversation and yeah, I you know I was just thinking about you last night and slowly cooking um, about what's taking place in Washington. How do you keep sane? How do you keep from doing a slow burn cook all the time? Because you know you can be thwarted at any juncture by some stupid policy or something. How, how do you how do you not get burnt like I'm burnt now? Well, it's a daily process. Let me tell you, it's a, we walk through it. And before I let it bother me, and now I just say, we'll deal with it and, and find a way. Because we can't stop. We can't stop helping those families. For example, EPA just came out with some new rules for, for our diesel trucks and want us to put on a, uh, a filter regulator for the um, refrigeration units. Oh, they only cost six grand a piece. Oh. We're, we're a nonprofit. I'm a stay-at-home mom, guys, that works 70 hours a week. <laughs> so I call the EPA and talk to them and say, okay, what do I need? Finally, I talk to the manufacturer. They're going to give them to us for cost. Excellent. But they said, oh, you go on the military base, maybe we can get you clearance. None of the government vehicles need to 
abide by the regulations. Really? Yes. So why do they make us little guys do it when they're not going to take care of it themselves? Because you're a little guy. That's right. They can push me around. I'm tired of being pushed around. I, I, you're talking to a dude who, I, I mean, I'm fine. I'm fine now. Only only two cups of coffee because if I had three, I would be going down. I, I made a post on Facebook in which I was very clear about my feelings about this thing. And, you know, when you run into those frustrations, and, of course, you can't, you know, you have to be mature enough. You can't let it derail you. And it, this is what it sounds as though that you've, you know, you're you're just an old salt on this and you've done it so many times that, you know, that you will adapt, adjust, and overcome, as Jim uh, Jim already talks about. But I, myself, just really, you know, thought a lot about it last night and the conversation that David and I were having, that it's bringing a new awareness to myself in which, you know, you, you, know, you have these macro conversations that have such a micro impact on the lives of real human beings. They're not a vote. They're not a donor. I mean, these people are the most powerless of our society. They're not a they're not the Cone brothers in which they can go ahead and peel off several million dollars to affect a policy about some union workers. You're talking about military people who are laying their lives on the line who don't have enough Cheerios for their kids. And we ha- and it's not just the military either. It's the other people who are either underemployed or is struggling to make ends meet. And it's not as simple as, well, why don't you just go get a job? I got a job. I have two jobs. <laughs> right. And I'm or still, three. Or three in some cases. You know, it's, it's, it's enough to, you know, as I was watching what was taking place over, you know, last few, few weeks. Um, yeah, I tell you what, I'd like to go ahead and drive a heel into somebody's chin to try to wake them up. Well, it's interesting when you go down on the military base, most of the daddies are gone. Or if... if Daddy's at home and mommy's at war. That that person who is the core of the family is gone. So you have you have mom trying to make ends meet with four children. And I've had moms come up to me and absolutely cry and say, Not only did you bring me food, but you brought me flowers. Yeah. And what'll happen is when we'll get a every load that we get with foods, the grocery stores also donate flowers. For example, um, one of our bigger donors is Trader Joe's, and they used to throw away the flowers. I used to be a florist. I said, hey, guys, do you know how happy I can make a military mom or a senior with flowers? So they'll donate the flowers. Now, maybe one flower in the whole bunch is wilted, and these moms will walk out with flowers. We actually have the children go down the line and pass the mom flowers, so the kids feel like they can actually give mommy something. Or you, you get somebody just getting back from deployed who who gets to pull out three dozen roses and take them home. That's pretty big. Mm-hmm. Uh, damn it! Now my eyeballs are sweating. Just you know, just the little things, and and you know, see a little boy run over and grab grab flowers and say, oh, "Mommy, can I take these home to Grammy?" Really, it, you know, it, it's it's touching. And what we have also found down on the base is that. A lot of the kids will bypass the toys to get a book. Yeah. And, oh, God. And that's, that's something when you, you have a box of toys and you have a box of books and the kids will run to the books and ask if the mom will sit down and read to them right then. And they'll sit <laughs> right on the floor. And you'll have a group of kids sitting on the floor to read a book because they really don't have the funds for those books. 
So we really try to get the moms, and that's how Moms for Safe Parks comes into the militaries. We have moms helping moms. So we will have moms who will have little um, bunk beds, clothes, cribs, car seats, strollers, Whatever we get extra, we'll just take it off down and drop off the base. If somebody's got a, getting a new set of plates and want to, wants to get rid of their old ones, we'll take them. If the stores are closing out all their Valentine's items and they'll give us a pallet full of Easter or Christmas after the holiday is over, we'll take them. We'll take them down to the base. They're so grateful. This year... Big Lots donated in 2009 after Christmas about $700,000 of Christmas items. Christmas trees, all kinds of decorations. We took them down and the naval base stored them in one of the hangars and passed them out in October. So we had, we do the Navy too. That's another story. Um, <laughs> well, you know, the Marines are the men, men's department of the Navy. <laughs> 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 oh, you should hear some of the jokes I hear about. <laughs> because all the different groups, either either I've got the CBs, the Marines, or the Army, and and um, the Army guys tell the Marines who are good buddies, um, you know, we would only take the best. That's why you didn't get in. <laughs> so so and and usually I have all my groups come in when we get a big shipment of of snacks or, or items that are, uh, are hot items. Um, all the guys will come at once. We'll call them all and say, okay, instead of us offloading the truck twice, you come with your vehicles, whatever events you're going to do, we'll supply you with that and, and we'll, we'll take them off and, and uh, we'll, we'll get, you know, mother's cookies, oatmeal cookies that'll be shipped to Afghanistan. And, and then, uh, They'll go to the Culinary Institute. They'll go down to Master Earl and his his group down to uh, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way to the eleventh families down on Camp Pendleton, and then we'll have um, the naval base come up. They come up twice a month, and I got a phone call from a, a friend who's a real estate appraiser. He goes, "You know, my nephew's in the Navy. I hear you do the Marines." What about the Navy? And I said, well, just give me a call. So he calls me and he says, um, you know, we'd like to come up. And I said, bring me some trucks. So they send me two 38-foot trucks. And um, usually the third Thursday of the month, um, Chief, David Mast- Chief David Moffitt will come up with his crew and we'll load them up with about $60,000 of goods. Wow. All donated goods you got. All donated. Incredible. Wow. All donated. So when our retailers see what we do, we'll shoot pictures of the families and and uh, show the retailers where the end product goes. So they're they're excited to be able to donate to the families. A you know, of- we would we would like to put a, a link in our site for the helping hands. And maybe uh, somebody out there will listen to the show and somebody will be so motivated by you. Because I know you motivate me on it. I'm just proud to have talked to you. See, we'd like to put your site up on our site. 
and maybe somewheres out there somebody will be so inspired. I know I'm impressed just talking to you, and it, it, it's amazing. Maybe, maybe somebody will get as motivated as you have, because you started this all out of your kitchen. I did. I, I did. Mean, it's, it's just incredible. It really is. I, I'm proud to know you, and I'm proud to have talked to you about all of this. If you were to, what is it that, that you were, as you, you know, kind of project a little bit, obviously you can't run this big of an organization and do the kinds of, you know, outreach that you do without having to do some kind of logistical planning outward. What is it that your organization needs going forward? You have the three trucks and you need, you know, to get the, you know, the thing for your diesel filters and those kinds of things. What, what does Helping Hands Worldwide need as you see in the next five years, other than more food and toys, logistically speaking? Well, right now with the gas prices, fuel is gone through the roof. Our, my fuel bill a month right now runs me about $1,800. Wow. So um, monies for fuel would be fabulous. And then we have our insurance costs. But, and one of our biggest needs is a warehousing. Because when we will get a call saying, you know, we have we have seven hundred thousand dollars of Christmas goods that we want to give you. A lot of times, logistically, it's hard for us to move it. Yeah, just so no place to put it. Right, right. We did. Uh, we do have um, a container that was donated by Waste Management that we use for our dry goods. That we can we house all our snack items that get prepared to be shipped to Afghanistan. And then we do have a retired helicopter pilot from the military who also donates some storage for us. But it's a warehousing where we can put um, some refrigeration. Because when we do have our commercial entities, if they have any problems, some days we'll get a call and, and within a half an hour we have to be there and pick up the goods. Um, holidays. We'll, we'll do feed the family programs and we'll get 600 turkeys. Wow. And so we, we need to have a commercial freezers. And then always volunteers. We're always looking for volunteers. We facilitate 43 organizations. And if we can't find a good match here in our organization, we can put them in one of our other ones. We all work together. This is a collaboration. And we're all pieces of the puzzle. Without one piece, the other piece doesn't work. You know, you'd you'd mentioned something earlier. Pardon me, David. You'd mentioned something earlier that you your success is, is in large part based upon your ability to collaborate with other outreach programs. Would you say that the other places are in kind of much the same same spot? Oh, absolutely. If um, if our clinic in in Santa Ana didn't have our food for the, their Feed the Need program to feed the families that they wouldn't be able to outreach to their community. They might be able to help in, in the medical field, um, but they wouldn't be able to, to provide the food that we're able to provide. Or, or the children's home that we help with the pet food bank. They have a, a children's home for foster care of 200 kids that we help weekly. Or the uh, the Alzheimer's home in in um, Huntington Beach that we reach out to. 
where the families usually to have a loved one in one of these homes costs six grand a month. Well, we'll help them with food. Now they can, now they only have to charge two thousand dollars a month. Yeah, I um I want this is a personal question. I hope it doesn't you know answer it, or if you don't think you can, but how do you or do you ever find yourself overwhelmed by the responsibility of what you've taken on? Uh, daily. Daily, because if if something were to make me stop, I know my crew would be able to go, go on. But what happens to those 30,000 people? What happens to that little boy in the line who used to come to the food bank with his mom in the stroller and keep his head down because he was so broken? And he realized once he came to see us that his life would change. That little boy grabbed a seal from a lawnmower that was broken in the dirt just to find something to give to me. What would happen to his life? And my board member looked at me and she got big tears in her eyes and she said, honey, this is why you do what you do. Because you make a difference in that little boy's life. Yeah. What, yeah. It, and what about the teachers that um, send home extra food to these families? Because there's still not enough food in the household. Yeah. What about yeah. all those people? So yeah. to answer your question, yes, it's overwhelming. But I think I would be more overwhelmed if I stopped. You know, right before we went live, you were mentioning that one of the things you're doing now is teaching people how to drive trucks. And that's, to me, just fascinating because that's one of the things I keep thinking. I'm just going to give up my job and become an over-the-road trucker. <laughs> well, these are we're, these are short hauls. And um, when I went into Albertsons one day and I was talking to one of the managers, I said, I've, I've got an appointment. I'm meeting a trucking company tomorrow. I've got to buy some trucks. Because we were, I had purchased some um, safari vans and we were using those to move food. But we started getting so much food, it wouldn't accommodate the food anymore. We'd have to make four or five trips. He said, well, wait a minute, Saito, let me give you a phone number. Ran in the back and he says, you know, we're closing our .com out, our grocery .com order online. So the next day I went to see this man and they had 50 trucks. And they gave us the pick of... We could take five. Wow. So we, we purchased five. We actually purchased four, and then they gave me the fifth one. I called my girlfriend from the pet food bank who she feeds, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of animals through her pet food bank. And I said, look, you were the one who sent me a truck to pick up Christmas stuff when nobody else would help. She sent me the driver. She sent me wouldn't even let me pay for gas. I said, so I have the ability to buy these trucks right now. Bring a cashier's check. I've got two trucks picked out for you. They're on the lot. Who, who's heard of a diesel truck for a very, very low cost? And she was screaming on the phone. She was so excited. <laughs> had, had 300,000 miles on it. And here I'm the one where my husband buys me this beautiful emerald ring for Christmas, and I try to take it back so I can go buy a, a truck. And I find out he's had it custom made. Now, how many women do you know would take, take the emerald diamond ring back to get a truck? This is where my mind's been. 
Well, I know of a woman that would make me take my truck back to get an emerald ring. <laughs> I don't know if that counts. Yeah. Just my depends on which world you live in. But, you know, so, I can only imagine that that man wanted to give you, I bet you that ring wasn't big enough or expensive enough for somebody like you, right? It can, I cannot imagine the pride that that husband must have in you and your family must have in you for willing to take this on, you know, maybe it was, uh, maybe it is your responsibility. Maybe somebody above, you know, kind of tagged you early on as somebody that needed to take this on and sent you that Marine that was in a chair who was reaching out for help. And I can't help but think about all the people that are listening. If, if we just open up our hearts and open up our minds, um, how we can step in and help. I know standardease.org is our effort. Um, we're not quite reaching the, the audience that you are, but I certainly hope that other people that are listening can can think about it, even if it's 50 bucks as a donation for gas for an organization like yours. That, that would be fabulous. You know, after we received the trucks, I called the CHP and emailed them that night because you have to have certain licenses um, on, on the trucks, not driver's license because they're, they're not that big. Um, And, and I emailed them and I said, this is what I do. I bought three trucks yesterday. I need your help. I need to teach truck safety tomorrow to some retired uh, CEOs who've never been behind the wheel of a truck. My phone started ringing at 6.15 the next morning. He said, is this too early? <laughs> so even CHP, you know, I enlist whoever I can to get me the expertise I need. And everybody has been more than happy to help. So now um, I've learned how to drive these diesel refrigerated trucks, and off we go. Excellent. Excellent. So when you guys want a lesson, let me know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. I, I uh, you know, for those for those of you guys that are listening, you know, she's only talking about a bar bill on a Friday night, so maybe you can buy some gas uh, to, to help out on that. Sida, I have to say this, and I hate like heck to say this, but we're getting close to our at the end of our hour. Um, but I ask this a lot, and I'm and I mean this in all seriousness. If you would be willing to come back. To the show and maybe sit in on a uh, a roundtable panel, and we can check in with you here uh, in a little bit again, and bring you back on multiple times because I I know that we are only scratching the surface of the work that you do, and in each one of these conversations, I've I've, I've made several notes that I could do a forty five minute conversation just on one area that you touched on, and I know Jim and, and David you know feel the same way. Exactly. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for what you do in the outreach. Like I said, we're all pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, that's really important. Um, normally, hey, I'm going to toss it to you, to you, David. If if maybe you'd be willing to, you know, give us a, you know, give us our roundhouse and give us our shout outs again. All right. Um, first, first shout out is uh, Chewy's just put up a new story over on uh, GusMcCoy.com quite humorous i had a couple of good chuckles off that check out again the art at war project they're they've got a lot of their funding in place but i know they'll they still need some more digital film so um art at org. one of the two we're at standardease.org and let's not forget about the helping hands worldwide 
I was getting to them next because on standatease.org, we are going to have the helpinghandsworldwide.org website put up. And also check us out on Facebook at standatease.org. Well, side of what we'll do is we'll be throwing you the uh, th- throwing you the shout out as well here on a lot of our shows, if that's all right. If you'll let us plug you on our shows like we do our other shout outs, I would appreciate it. Fabulous. And gentlemen, we'll have you also connected on our website if anybody wants to contact you. Great. Hey, everybody hang around here. I'm going to go ahead and close it out for us, but I just I want everybody to stick around until we're done. So over here to my left, as always, D. Bjorn Christian up there in the frozen tundra. Over to the right in the recovering steel town of Detroit, James L. Johnson Jr. Sighted down in warm, sunny, gorgeous uh, Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sida. And I'm Gar up here at Northern California. We'll be back here at Stanley's. Thank you for joining us.